So it's rather apt that I'm sitting here with a glass of red that I got on my recent trip to Calais in France, which I spoke about in the last edition of Coffee Break. And you're right, because we're back. It's Coffee Break number two with James and Marcus. How are you doing, Marcus? Did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was a quiet Christmas, but it was a pleasant Christmas because I was on my own for most of it. But I did manage to make a decent pescatarian Christmas dinner for one. So I was I was pleased with my effort and I sent you the picture. What was the verdict from your household? We did, but why don't you tell the listeners what you actually uh, created this year? Because if you if listen to po- um, the podcast number one, you did understand that we did uh, speak about uh, Christmas dinners this year. I was having a very Caribbean Christmas, which we'll go on to in a minute. But Marcus, just explain to the listeners what you had. Yeah, because I, I was at home and all I've got really is a halogen oven and a microwave. So I thought, right, how to make a decent pescatarian Christmas dinner for one. Now, a pescatarian is like what Susanna Reed is, somebody who eats fish but no red or white meat. So what I did is I had um, a, a posh bit of Young's codfish uh, in batter, seasoned herbs on top and a lemon flavoured um, batter. That, it, that was all pre-prepared. Roast potatoes, just uh, one t- tablespoon of olive oil over those, and sprouts uh, in a saucepan. Um, and the art of getting the sprout right, which is something we talked about last time, is the, the Italian word al dente, that word al dente, which means you don't overcook something. You leave a very slight bite. And do you know what, James? I got it spot on. Well, I always find that if you put a little X in the bottom, it cooks it evenly. And uh, as you know, this year I was away. I was in a very glamorous X place. X in the bottom the... of what? X in the bottom of the sprout. You know, putting right, a little whoa, 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 X and across the little bottom that. of the sprout. You've got to go through every single sprout and put an X in it. I do, and it always cooks it perfectly. You don't need to do that, mate. Oh, well, I've always done it, and it cooks it better than ever. Now, but your, your dad your dad knows a lot more about this sort of thing. Than he I does do. it as well. Yeah. So that's where I got it from. Yeah, yeah. But what I all I find is a very simple rune, rule, do not overcook your sprouts. Oh, right? no, that's that, true. That that's true. Overcooked that, sprouts That's the is reason awful. most people don't like sprouts, is because they overcook them, um, and they're used to having them overcooked. You need to have that little bit of al dente, that little bit of bite left in them, and that's why my Christmas dinner turned out just fine. So... That was me, but what about you? Because you had a very different Christmas this year, didn't you? Well, unfortunately, because uh, I wasn't in the UK for Christmas this year, I couldn't enjoy sprouts as much as maybe yourself or other other listeners would do. I was actually in Nassau in the Bahamas this year for Christmas with my wife, uh, which was um, unbelievable. I mean, I still can't believe that that was work. I was paid to be lying on a beach. Okay, I had to do some work with the flights in between. But um, for those that don't know, I work for a UK airline and uh, Nassau was one of our routes. And me and my wife managed to get on the same trip and we had a lovely Christmas Eve and Christmas Day together in Nassau in the Bahamas. Beautiful 25 to 28 degree sunshine lying on the beach Christmas morning in a little Santa themed shirt and my um, board shorts which are which was just, it was just weird. I've never ever had a Christmas like that before. We had a good old um, lunch in the hotel which was uh, a mixture of some turkey, we had some ham, we had some uh, lamb, uh, some fish. It was uh, we had the Caribbean mac pie, macaroni pie, which is absolutely delicious. Marcus, I will cook it for you next time you're here because uh, it is absolutely super sublime. It's a little bit of spice, a little bit of macaroni, a little bit of cheese with some condensed milk, and it's absolutely delicious. Um, so we'll do that. But then, yeah, I had to make the most of having my Brussels sprouts uh, throughout the time. And frustratingly, just before Christmas, Tesco's were charging 19p for those Brussels sprouts. I went last week to get some more as I fancy them with the roast. £1.29. Thank you, I bought a big bag of Aldi Brussels sprouts about two days before Christmas, frozen, 
but I find that uh, I've got enough there now to last me weeks and weeks, so I mustn't complain. So all in how all, can you charge? How can you charge nineteen p before Christmas, and then literally the week after, or a week and a half after Christmas, be charging one pound twenty nine? It's crazy. I can also tell you that on Boxing Day in my local ASDA, they were giving away, yes, giving away parsnips. Yeah, last year when I was uh, at home for Christmas, I went in, because I often find, Marcus, if you if you go into these supermarkets on Boxing Day, I'm sure you've done it yourself, someone that likes to save the pennies where they can, like myself. Um, if you go in, you can find very good deals on uh, Christmas food. Like, for example, last year, I got a whole, well, I got a turkey crown, um, I think for something ridiculous like five pounds and it'd been on sale for about nearly 30 pounds um a few days before christmas i got that i got some sprouts and as you said um last year my ass they were giving away carrots sprouts and parsnips for free now i always thought why aren't they giving that to charity but hey uh that's asda's choice but it was quite good and go and help yourself and i guess the local people around here that own animals were um stocking up um yeah but, but yeah. There's, there's a side to this is it's like everything you just said about christmas decorations is true because i think it was what two christmases ago now i was in uh asda in about the fifth or sixth of january and they were selling big packets of two two meter long tinsel for pence and they were mm. more or less giving it away so what i did is i bought it i put it in the uh the cupboard and I just got them out last Christmas out of their packets and put them up. And I, I, I just left them there and I prepared a year ahead in effect. So that was something. But you talk about value for money and all this stuff. It, it was a thought I had the other day. Something said to me years ago. If you opened up your Christmas wrapping um, or you, you received a gift and inside that gift was a Twix, a Mars bar and a bounty with an elastic band around it, you'd think, oh, that's a bit ugh, crap, whatever. However, if it was a Christmas box with a Dickensian scene on the outside. And, you, you know, you have, you have to pull the windows like on an advent calendar and there was a Mars, a Twix, a Bounty and a Rolo, in, a, a Rolo ba- line of those inside, you know, a pack of Rolos. You think, oh, that's, that's a Christmas box and what have you of chocolates, you, you know. But think about the markup. Mars bar, 30p. Uh, Twix, 30p. Bounty, 30p. Rolo, 30p. So that's one pound twenty. A Christmas box with a Dickensian scene on the front, containing nothing more than that, three quid. So you know what? I've never ever ever looked at it like that, and you're completely right. It's crazy, isn't it? You think the actual contents of that box, mm. as you say, no more than one twenty, whatever it is, maybe a little bit more in this day and age. But you put a scene on it, a Christmas scene, and uh, <laughs> you can get the marketeers and the marketing agents in, and they charge a three, four quid for a box. I mean, so uh, today what? in Asda, there were boxes for, uh, of uh, Quality Street for two pounds. They were charging six, seven quid the other week. Well, yeah, that that's one thing. But at, at what point do you say to your child, right, I'm going to buy you some chocolates for Christmas. Now, I'll either give you a Mars bar, a Twix, a Bounty, and a packet of Rolos with an elastic band around it, and it's yours, and I'll give you two quid on top. Or I won't give you the two quid, and you can have that in a box with a Dickensian scene on the outside. That's a good way, I think, once they're past all the Santa Claus stuff, once they're past that age, teach them how supermarkets rip you off. And I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I, would, yeah. I would not hesitate in teaching a 10, 11, 12-year-old child that lesson. Which do you want? The four bars of chocolate with an elastic band around it, and I'll give you two quid on top? Or... I won't give you two quid and you can have a piece of cardboard with a Dickensian scene. And if it's Dickensian scenes you're after, just drag them up on Google Images and look at them all day. 
Yeah, that's going really Or am I, I getting mean, old you... and cynical, James? No, no, I completely, I completely agree. It's, it's crazy. As you say, I've never, I've never thought about it like that before. But um, have you picked up any bargains post Christmas in the shops this year? Uh, depends how you define bargains. Obviously, I just food, mentioned... drink, anything. You know, some wrapping cards. I got my Christmas cards for next year. I picked up a joint of Serrano ham, which was on sale for twelve pound fifty. Uh, a few days before Christmas, it was uh, twenty five pounds. So I've got that as a little bargain. It will last me and my wife a few weeks. Uh, we'll have some lunches out of that, some salads, some sandwiches. It'll be fantastic. Um, what about yourself? I I bought cards in bulk um, about four or five years ago, and I've still got loads left from then. So I haven't haven't had the need to buy cards. But what I always notice is that, you know, we talked in the last uh, Coffee Break podcast, the Christmas special, about how we don't mark Christmas at the appropriate time in this country. We have um, week, months and months of build-up, and, and the, the supermarkets are, are like that. And you have the uh, the Christmas tree uh, in the inner foyer of my local Asda with the countdown clock on it, 10 days yeah, before mine Christmas, as well. 9, 8, whatever. Christmas Day arrives, you go there on Boxing Day, they've taken the Christmas tree down and all the decorations are down. So, traditionally, Advent, what is supposed to be a time of preparation, they're indulging us. Now, when Christmas actually arrives, a time of celebration, they've taken the decorations down when it's only just arrived. I always look at that as the end of Christmas. It's when you see those big, bold, red signs saying January sale, and it's always almost quite depressing. I mean, today, this this year has been the first time, just due to work reasons for myself and Vicky, that I've actually taken the Christmas down, a decoration down today after 12 night because I haven't actually had the chance to do them. And um, I did them myself, so my wife's away at the moment. She's going to come home to a de-Christmas house, which I'm sure she's relieved that all she's got to do is help me pass them into the loft. And I know you took yours down yesterday, didn't you? I took them down last night indeed but the thing to remember James is that in certainly in Spain and certainly in Italy today today's festival is very yeah. much a part of Christmas because it's the feast of the epiphany and it's when the three wise men went to visit Jesus although the Bible doesn't say it was three wise men it said they had three gifts gold frankincense and myrrh we don't know mm-hmm. how many of them there were but it works on the assumption of three uh, based on what is said in Matthew's gospel but in Spain yeah. today Today is the day when the children receive their presents. And the night before, i.e. last night, they had the big carnivals in the streets of the kings arriving in the streets. And it's a big, big occasion in every town and city. Everyone comes out to watch the kings arriving. And then overnight, the kings drop the presents in the children's houses and so forth. And on the day itself, you see the kings visiting like children's hospitals and hospices and stuff like that. In Italy, they have a similar tradition, but it's Buffena. You know who she is? No, I don't. She's an old witch on a broomstick who drops the children their presents on Epiphany. If you've been good, she'll leave presents by your Christmas tree. If you've been bad, she'll leave a piece of coal by your bed. Mm. And that's the tradition they have in Italy, but it happens on the Feast of the Epiphany. So the the period from, like in, it, in Italy, certainly my Italian family, I've got, I'm quarter Italian, so I, I know a bit about the small town community they live in, large village, small town community tends to be Christmas Eve is the big family meal. Um, Then you go to church for midnight mass. Christmas Day is more of a laid-back bank holiday than anything. You go to a bar, you have a drink, you go for a walk, that sort of thing. New Year's Eve is big party time. So Christmas Day itself is more of a religious thing, really. New Year's Eve is big party time. You don't just stop at midnight. Traditionally, it used to be you'd meet up with your friends early in the evening, then go home for a meal, and then after midnight, you'd party with your friends again 
right the way up until quite near dawn actually you say that it's quite interesting because when as you know i was in bucharest for new year i was uh actually asleep uh in my bed in a hotel in bucharest because i was on an early flight in the morning mm. and um we went out for dinner when we arrived there and absolutely everywhere was closed we found a little small pizza restaurant which was distinctly average but it would do mm. everywhere was closed you know if you went out into the uk you'd find tons of restaurants and bars open because you'd think everyone starts warming up at eight nine o'clock at night you know having a meal then going out but there was absolutely nothing open yet i was asleep i was woken up at midnight by the fireworks in the street and oh my god like there was hundreds of people out on the street watching these fireworks and i never thought and it was like where have all these people come from but it must be as you say new year's is a big party they must have gone home for a family meal and then they go out and party until the wee small hours that that may well be true and and then as i say so that that's new year's eve in italy and in spain you party well into the night mm. almost to dawn night i reckon and then the next big celebration then is when the children receive their gifts at the uh, the feast of the epiphany so really in many other countries particularly european countries Christmas isn't so much a day, it's a, a period beginning on um, just, well, even in Spain, they have a big thing about two or three days before um, Christmas Eve, where the Saturday beforehand, they have a, a very, very large national lottery jackpot. And the way the Spanish lottery works is numbers are drawn. And because of the way tickets are sold, you buy it from your local shop. If there's a and the, the jackpot is absolutely massive but even if the jackpot is in your village or town because of the serial numbers on it people other people in the community will win smaller prizes so that, let's say the town where you live in in the south coast i won't name exactly where you are but let, let's say that the serial number is 144 and the guy who's won the jackpot has got 12 numbers followed by 144 you and your wife have got your tickets and it's got 144 at the end you will have a smaller prize of maybe a few hundred pounds. So that that's, that's really the start of Christmas in Spain. Uh, Italy may do something similar. Then Italy and Spain, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, similar tradition. Um, and e- even in Spain, the other thing is on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which is what, the 27th, 28th of December, that's their April Fool's Day. The Feast of the Holy Innocents is um, when you get joke stories in the newspapers on the, on the news and people play practical jokes on each other. So from the Saturday before Christmas Eve, right the way through to New Year and then to the Feast of the Epiphany, it's like a season of small celebrations culminating in the Feast of the Epiphany. So I think they do it better in those countries myself because it's much less pressure and you end up with this big crescendo and then after Christmas Day in this country, it's sort of it feels sort of, oh, that's done now, even though actually in reality it's only just begun. So talking about our Christmas Day, uh, as we spoke about in episode one of uh, Coffee Break, a Christmas special, did you end up watching anything on Christmas Day yourself? Um, I didn't watch Gavin and Stacey. I, I read well, you the, know I did, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, all, all I did, uh, I read the Peter Hitchens column on Gavin and Stacey, and he said that they were fa- effectively glorifying drug use, which um, I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to comment, but it's a bit of a concern if that's true. Um, what I did watch, I, I, I was indulging in box sets. I'd never seen the all-time classic Minder on the Orient Express from about 1986. That really lived up to expectations. George Cole, Dennis Waterman. Uh, watched a couple of episodes of Fools and Horses. I watched the um, the episode, I think I watched the uh, the Jolly Boys outing, which was their Christmas special from about 1988 or 89. That was still very, very funny. Um, well, yeah, I watched quite a bit of classic comedy, and I watched uh, Who, Want- Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as well. And um, yeah, so that that was my Christmas day. I was on my own, but um, I indulged in exactly what I wanted to watch, and it was it was good for me. Yep. 
So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, going back to your comment about uh, the drug use, it's kind of a lot of things in, in this Gavin Station have been blown out of proportion. Um, the drug use thing was actually a little scene where uh, if you've watched Gavin and Stacey, uh, Dawn and Pete, who are the couple that are always breaking up, having big fights, uh, Dawn found a joint in Pete's car, and it was actually a gift from his... Um, work colleagues and uh she thought it's all that and pam and mick who who said they've had a bit of a smoke in the past they uh they said oh it's nothing to be too much of a worry it's not he's uh it's not a drug addict it was actually quite a comical scene if you watch you'd actually find it quite funny yes they went on later on to be smoking the joint in the room and they all got uh all got high but it was quite funny because gavin and smithy walked in and they just were like what the hell's going on here it was actually quite a comical scene Gavin and Stacey, I think the Christmas special was a great, great comeback. It's been nearly 10 years since it, uh, it had been on our screens in the last series. And I thought it's definitely had a good response, majority. And um, I've got a feeling that they could bring back for another series or at least another Christmas special next year. We'll have to wait and see what this year brings. But at the end of the day, again, the snowflakes are out shouting about the Christmas classic, uh, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, no, 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 no. You, you cheap, uh, lousy, faggot, happy Christmas, yes. your ass. Thank God it's our last. Yes, the fairy tale of New York. And yeah. again, all the snowflakes are out saying it's disgusting that the BBC let. It was um, Uncle Bryn and Nessa on the stage singing it. It was a great scene. It was in a pub. They're all happy. We all sing it at Christmas. Why the hell not? Well, this is the society we've become now, isn't it? In that uh, we're seeing that classic scenes from things like Only Fools and Horses are being cut all the time from reruns and i i just think that there are a lot of pathetic people out there you know they 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 still seem to have any sense of humor any sense of perspective it's a classic christmas song at the end of the day it's brilliant a christmas song it's not even classic it's one of my favorites yeah ex- exactly and it's it's not abusive in any way not really because it's got nothing to do with actual homophobic abuse it's it's a figure of speech in a song and at the end of the day if we're not careful the way I, this is as somebody said to me with regards to all this woke agenda that we're hearing all about now oh you must be woke and you must be aware of your privilege and all this nonsense we're hearing i tell you what the things that was the expressions we're allowed to use now if these woke people carry on the way they are we won't be allowed to use them in five years time they'll be seen as taboo so i'm just saying take things as as we say in my family my mother's husband is from singapore he's a singapore malay and he always says you say what you like around him he likes bernard manning he likes jim davidson he likes all that sort of thing and he said it's not what you say it's the way you say it and that's the big thing when it comes to these things because the way we're going now we're going to end up with well we're almost there the abolition of comedy because when was the last time the bbc or itv made a really decent new sitcom because Every joke has to go through about about three layers of management. You can't say this. You mustn't say that. It's getting beyond, beyond absurd. Well, I mean, to lighten up the spirit, mate, I mean, this week I found a new TV gem, which is actually on Amazon Prime. It's one of these new generations of uh, TV, and you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon Prime. And it's actually, I spoke to you about it earlier in the week. It's called James May, Our Man in Japan. And as you know, in 2019, one of my highlights of 2019, apart from going on the cruise in October with my lovely wife to the Mexico and the Car- um, from Los Angeles, is my actually wonderful trip to Japan and uh, South Korea. And this is a six-part documentary. I've watched the fifth one tonight just before we speak. And um, 
it, it's absolutely brilliant. There's the typical James May sarcastic, you know, Top Gear style humour, but it's nice to see him on his own because whenever he's done a programme on his own, I've always really enjoyed them. He's done a few on Cars of the People. I think it was on BBC a few years ago. But now this is his first time on Amazon on his own. And do you know what, mate? It's absolutely brilliant. If you've always been curious about Japan and what it's like, it's not a typical lovey-dovey travelogue or let's go to this museum, let's this. It's actually real stuff and it, there's a lot of humour behind it and a lot of comedy. And I have to say, it's, it's already one of the best programs i've seen this year or for a long time and i've got one more episode to go and i really hope that amazon keep this james may our man uh title um to go into maybe another one like i'd love to see him in china or maybe one of these countries where it's a really awkward sort of it's not a very western culture because as i said to you many times you go to japan it is completely different from what we're used to over here and it's actually sometimes if you don't completely relax and enjoy it it's quite be quite uncomfortable well, the thing about Japan that I always find is that I've never been there, unlike you, but people say about manners and politeness. Now, politeness goes a long way in Japan, I'm aware God, of that. God, they're so polite. Yeah, politeness and manners goes a very long way, and etiquette goes a long way. And I, I've looked at things like, um, not so much Japan, but uh, what the eating etiquette is if you're invited to a, a meal at somebody's house in South Korea, for example. And the, there are a couple of golden rules. One is... Um, you begin eating when the oldest person around the table starts eating. Keep an eye on the oldest person because when the oldest person, if they put their chopsticks together, they've stopped eating. It means you should stop eating. And the other thing you do in South Korea, and I don't know if it's the same in Japan, but always leave a little bit of food at the end on your plate. Yeah, that's completely true because it means if you completely clear your plate, it means you're still hungry. Yeah, it's, you're implying you want that they more haven't food. given you enough. Um, yeah. which is um, which is one of the things. So that, that's one sign of it. But there's, there's various things about etiquette that you need to be aware of. And a big thing in Japan is not losing face. You know, when you when you uh, when you address another person, it, you know, it's much better to tell a white lie that, uh, in certain circumstances than to tell people the truth. Um, they also like bowing a lot, like who's got the biggest bow and everything like that. And, you know, one of the one of the cultures is if you're meeting someone new for the first time, you should have a business card which you present to them. They present theirs to you and it's polite to actually read the business card rather than just put it in your pocket. Yes, that's right. And whatever you do, don't write on that business card. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I mean, this this leads on quite nicely to uh, major sporting events that are going on this year. We've had messages in that want to talk us, uh, us to talk about major sporting events this year. Mm. And we've actually got the Tokyo Olympics coming up in 2020. And as you know, having worked at the London 2012 Olympics, which is one of the most ex best experiences of my life. And I, as you know, in 2018, I brought the Team GB back from uh, Seoul at the Winter Games, which was another one of the highlights of my career but yeah we've got the Tokyo Olympics coming this summer and I for one cannot wait I mean I would love to be out there for it but you know the cost is prohibitive if I can get there for work it'd be amazing but are you looking forward to those Olympics very much so yes it's going to be anti-social hours for us in this country most of the best action is going to be taking place in the wee small hours though knowing me that's unlikely to put me off um, so I'll, I'll, I am looking well, for you're a night owl anyway aren't you you'll be uh, you'll be able to fill me in in the morning and give me a morning update I think we could do Marcus's morning update or something well, that, that's fine and of course I do overnight radio as well so I'm not likely to get too phased by it am I? No. Um, but just looking ahead to it now I'm particularly looking forward we've got some great great prospects in the boxing ring and we've got some great prospects on the athletics track uh, obviously as well cycling our legacy there of um, 
velodrome cycling it remains very strong we got some is your friend Grant Thomas going to be in no it? he won't be highly unlikely because his, his track cycling career is now well and truly over Interesting. Um, to, to cut, I mean, what James is referring to uh, Geraint Thomas is a personal friend of mine and um, Geraint did very well in the Beijing Olympics of 2008 and then again in London 2012 and what effectively happens in cycling is that you get a little bit older and you're not as fast as you once were around the track, but your ability, your endurance increases as you get a little bit older as you approach your 30s. So Geraint's big strength now is um, on the long stuff, like the Tour de France and so forth. Obviously, do they won't. do something like that during the Olympics? Do they do a road race? Uh, there there, there a... is a, a, ro- a single-day road race, but there's nothing on the scale of the Tour de France. Where so you can... will he be doing that single road race? Or I, I very sure? much doubt it. I think it's highly really? likely. I mean, I haven't... Listen, I'll make this absolutely clear. I have not spoken to him about this. I have got no inside information whatsoever. Mm. We wished each other well some weeks ago in uh, some messages. He's just become a father for the first time. Um, but I have had no contact with him about cycling-related matters, so no inside info from me on this. But what I would say, um, I think he's going to prioritise the Tour de France, which is slightly before the Olympics, and then I think once the Tour de France is over, he will not be at the Olympics, but um, there is a single-day road race event. When it was in this country, it was around the Surrey and Sussex area. Um, I don't think... Yeah, the way I drive to work every day, it was part of... funny. Yeah, I don't think there'll be. I don't think you'll be taking part in anything like that. I think there'll be a new generation of cyclists coming through now. One uh, thing will be interesting is if we see um, Andy Murray defend his uh, Olympic gold medal this year, which is, I think, is probably quite unlikely due to his injuries over the last few years. So yeah, Andy Murray is out the Australian Open this year, so it'd be interesting to see if he, he ends up making it for the Olympics uh, to defend his gold medal. I, I personally, for one. Hope he does. I mean, there was another talk about Amazon again. There was a fascinating documentary on Amazon regarding Andy's uh, comeback from injury and his hip replacement. And well worth a watch if you haven't already. Yeah, well, the thing about Andy Murray is everyone was saying about this time last year that it looked as though his career was coming towards an end. But this operation, and he, he even said he was effectively on a farewell tour. But then he had his operation and he appears to be in somewhat better shape yeah. now. Now, OK, he won't be at the Australian Open. How he gets on in the, uh, the early part of the year, the Grand Slams, the French Open and Wimbledon, that may well determine whether he can make it as far as um, the, the August Olympics and so forth. But yeah. I, I, w- I would say we need, we need to be realistic about this and start looking to the next generation of British tennis players, the likes of Kyle Edmund and so forth, as we go forward. But it would be fantastic if he could, he could um, try and get one more gold in the Olympics. But I'm not, I'm not pinning my hopes on that, I have to say. Well, that's why you need to watch this documentary, because it's fascinating about his recovery. Uh, one of the other events this year is the Ryder Cup, which is coming towards in, in September. Another event which is always on the sporting calendar. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We're in Wisconsin this year, aren't we? And uh, that'll be in uh, mid to late September after the Olympics. Obviously, Europe retained it last time round. And just looking at uh, where we are with this, the European team captain this time. Oh, just, just looking at it, Patrick Harrington's captain. Um, mm. That was that was announced um, this time last year. We've known that for more than a year. He's um, selected Robert Carlson as his vice captain, and Carlson's a no-nonsense character, as we know. Steve Stricker is the U.S. captain, and he's selected um, Jim Furyk as his vice captain. And we got this sort of road to Dubai as to who the uh, who the teams are going to be, and we we don't know yet. Um, the, the leading four players in the race to Dubai, they call it, will be in the um, the European team. The captains' picks have been reduced from four to three. And the, the leading five players not qualified from the race to Dubai or the captain's pick will also be there. Um, the American way of doing it, it'll be the eight leading players on the points list from the majors, the, the four majors, plus the World Golf Championship and the Players' Championship. 
and and then the rest will be decided by PGA Tour events. Uh, there's four captains' picks in the American team, so it's going to be okay. Last time, what Europe won it seventeen and a half to ten and a half on European soil. Um, could be a different story somewhere like Wisconsin, though, which is what's the course called? It's called the Whistling Straits in Haven, Wisconsin. Mm. Now, tell me, just put me right if I'm wrong here. Uh, is golf now Olympic sport? They had it in. I'm pretty sure they had it in Rio, didn't they? Yes, yes, it was. They did. It was an Olympic sport. Last so that's going to be like a warm up for the uh, Olympics, in theory, or would you say not? Well, well, the Ryder Cup comes. Well, what what's the date of the Olympics? Because the Ryder Cup is 25th to 27th of September. And the Olympics are normally end of August to sort of mid September, exactly. isn't it? So, so Ryder a Cup couple of weeks afterwards. before. Yeah, so it could be a warm up then. It, yeah, I, I mean, in, in golf, if I, I bet if if players were to be brutally honest mm-hmm. and they were to say, um, d- "Would you rather win a, a major, one of the big four, the Open, the US Open, the US PGA, or the US Masters, or an Olympic medal?" They would probably choose one of the big four because yeah. the prestige associated with it and. Golf doesn't have that Olympic history. It's like there's, there are yeah, lots of sports it's just, it's where, new, isn't it? where an Olymp- winning an Olympic medal is not the height of mm. um, the, the, the highest point, if you like, of achievement in that sport. In athletics, it is. In certain other events, it is. In other sports, it isn't. And in golf, it isn't. But yeah, I, I, I think so. But by that stage, we'll know who's in the teams anyway, based on the, cri- uh, the qualifying criteria I just mentioned. Well, also one of the other events which I'm really looking forward to, especially after us being each side of the Seven Bridge, uh, means being an England fan and Marcus a Wales fan. Um, I'm looking forward to the Euros, Marcus. I am indeed. Yes, though well, that will be coming in what um, the, the June, June, period. June, July. It'd be interesting to see what Gareth Southgate can do to his squad because obviously, whatever people say, whether it was fluke or not, or whether we had an easy draw, whatever, England got to the semi-finals. They came fourth in the tournament, and I think I was bloody proud to do it. It wasn't the fact that it was just an amazing summer when they were in the World Cup it was the fact that it was a beautiful beautiful team they really played well and it seemed to be for the first time in probably since Euro 96 that I really thought that England might do something so whether Gareth can do anything this year will be really interesting to see it's going to be nice that we've got a traditional football tournament during the summer because obviously as you know the 2022 World Cup is going to be in December in Qatar because it's too hot to do in the summer for me that's going to be really weird because obviously things like the pubs things like other things the pubs sitting out in the garden for barbecue are not going to be able to happen because it's going to be so goddamn cold let's enjoy the euros as they are right now and uh what do you think of wales's chance are they are wales in there again I can't oh, very much it. so yeah wales yeah, they, they qualified didn't it? it's, it's a northern ireland and scotland who england could play because i think isn't it england uh, scotland versus well, well, northern well, let, ireland. let's look at the group stages you asked about wales and we know who all three of wales's opponents are going to be and uh, we know that our first match will be against switzerland in the olympic stadium in Bacau. Um, that will be the first Baku, one. Is that Baku or ba- Baku? B-A-K-U. And, yeah, Baku. Uh, Baku in Azerbaijan. In Azerbaijan, indeed. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I've been there many a time. Lovely place. Yep. Um, so, and then we stay in, in, in Baku to play Turkey um, just yeah. four days later. And then our final match will be in the Estadio Olimpico in Rome against um, Italy. So that that is going to be a tough group to get out of, and uh, I'm not. Ex- I I don't think this squad is as strong as our Euro 2016 squad, to be perfectly honest with you. So let, let's take that as it comes. But we we know we know who um, two of England's opponents will be. 
Um, you've got the Czech Republic and Croatia, and uh, all three of the games are going to be at Wembley. Funnily enough, it's not until the knockouts so we could be at another stadium. So we definitely have got home advantage, although we're not officially hosting the Euros. And for those people that don't know, is that the Euros this year in celebration, I think, of their anniversary, are all over Europe. There's not one host country, and no matter what people say, I think the United Kingdom, Wales, Scotland would make a great nation to uh, host the Euros. It hasn't come to fruition ever, especially in my lifetime since Euro two, Euro ninety six which I wasn't really old enough. I was eight years old at the time. But to have three home games at Wembley, one of those could be Scotland if they qualify through the playoffs. Can you imagine that? That would be incredible. I mean, I remember Euro 96 very well. And um, I, w- I was, what, 12 at the time. And I-, I just remember that tournament, the whole buzz that there was around the country at the time. And it's, oh, worth, it's worth remembering that this is when football was really starting to go on a high again, because the 1980s, yeah. there were issues with hooliganism. Mm. And we, we well, I think football really turned the corner from the 1990 World Cup onwards with uh, England's run to the semi-finals and Gaz's yeah. tears and so forth. Euro 92 was a bit, a bit of a damp squib with um, Graham Taylor's England team. Um, England then didn't qualify for the 1994 World Cup in the United States. But um, by this stage, of course, from 92 onwards, the Premier League was really starting to get, gather pace. And fo- there was a huge football revival in this country. And Euro 96 in England was a very well-staged tournament. Um, and, and, of course, England's run to the semi-finals. Gareth Southgate's missed penalty and so forth. We remember it's ironic, it isn't well. it, that he's now our manager? Um, I mean, the thing is, is, as you know from, I mean, obviously me, you and Simon, my uh, my friend, our, well, our friend Simon, went to uh, Olympic match in uh, Wales in uh, the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. And do you know what the buzz, even in Cardiff, it was such a buzz. And I had the pleasure and, uh, and the honour of working in the Olympic Park during the Paralympics. And, you know, whenever this country... The United Kingdom hosts a tournament. We do it so bloody well. Mm. It's so annoying when you get the corruption and the frustrations of our footballing and governing bodies that we can't host. Look what we did for the Olympics. That has to be one of the best Olympics I've ever witnessed. Yes, I might be biased because it was my country, but I think everyone said, and I know for a fact that in the day's run-up to it, you could buy tickets galore in the run-up to Olympics. And that opening ceremony, everyone thought, actually let's hang on it this is going to be amazing and it was one of the best olympic games ever so if we could take the olympics for an example and host a euros or a world cup ourselves we we're on to winner mate and i'm i'm hearing i think this week there's a little bit of pressure on boris johnson's government to maybe put a bid in for a united kingdom um joint bid for uh is it 2030 and i'm i'm thinking that will be the world cup yeah, um, well, let, let's work it out now. The next World Cup will be in 2022. That means there'll be another in 2026. Yeah, so it'll be 2030. But you, you've got to be very careful. Um, we, we could talk, in, in, we haven't got time to go into any depth on this now, but you've could be, got to be very careful who you flirt with in that sense because knowing what we now know about the way FIFA is run and the way FIFA is governed and the way pre, the pre, previous tournaments and upcoming tournaments have been awarded, you don't want to be trying too hard to jump into bed to, with organisations that behave not at in all. that way. No, not at all. So yeah. Boris Johnson has to tread very carefully from that point of view. And it'll be interesting to see because I think if we did 2030, we'd make such a damn good amazing job of it it actually makes me quite almost emotional to think how good it could be because i'd love to experience a world cup i love my football you know football is just such a great game i mean we look this week and it's been the fa cup round three um 
and as we said in messages this week, there hasn't really been any magic of the FA Cup this year, do you think? I, I think the FA Cup has been in decline for quite some considerable time. And I, people discuss when, when, did the, when did the FA Cup really begin to lose its shine? And I think for me, it was when the Champions League places went beyond champions. It started off because mm. it used to be only the champions of each country got into the Champions League. Then, then they extended it in the in the better leagues in Europe to two places, and then to fend off the the, the thought of a breakaway from leading clubs, it became the top four teams yeah. in in all, in all the various leagues. And I think when the clubs started chasing a top four place, yeah. um, I I think that is when the the FA Cup became much less of a priority. I also think the year Manchester United didn't enter the FA Cup did a huge amount of damage to its reputation. Um, that was what nearly twenty years ago. Now I think it was um, because they were playing in the Club World Cup, and it was a very difficult thing to schedule for them to be part. So they yeah. they withdrew from the FA Cup. I think various other things have damaged it as well. I think mm. you know you used to have not just one replay, but as many replays as you needed yeah. um, to settle ties. Uh, I also think moving the final from three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon to tea time. I think that three o'clock slot was particularly iconic. And uh, moving it to tea time, I, I don't. How think many years has that been there now? It's about three or four. More than that, it's, it's really? more like eight or nine, I think now. Really, is it? I'm a, I mean, looking through the results here, I'm looking, at, and it's such a shame there's not many. The only shocks I first of all, I wouldn't say it's too much a shock as they're top of the champ or one of the top teams of championship to one of mid teams of Premier League. Is Brighton lost to Sheffield Wednesday? Your team, Cardiff, drew two all with Carlisle to force a replay. Yeah, but you know what that means, um, don't you? That means it's going to be an away trip to Carlisle a week on Tuesday. Of course, and re- which is Tuesday going to be awful Wednesday, for Cardiff. And, and, and realistically, Neil Harris is not going to put out his first eleven for that no. match. And then you've got Watford, which threw away a 3-0 lead to Tranmere, who took it to replay to take at Prenton Park up in Tranmere later on in the, uh, in the month. Um, you've got... Just looking through this, really, it's such a shame because I love when you get these cup shocks. Mm. You know, last year we had Leicester going out to was it uh, was it uh, Newport? Did Newport? Yeah, run that's out right. Last Newport year? County's run just last down season. the road, just down the road from you. But, but actually, had, actually, you was look, it Wigan you... going out to Man City? or Was that the year before? Uh, well, it, well Man a... City going out to Wigan. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what. Whenever it was, most of the shocks nowadays don't come in the third round, but in the fourth round. Yeah, well, my team Charlton are out one nil. Mm. I'm quite sad, really, because uh, we lost to West Brom. We've been playing West Ham a Premier League ground away at the Olympic Stadium. Um, one of my good friends supports West Ham. It would be a nice little, little game to go and see. Um, yeah, but, but, yeah, there's, but is, there's is, no is there shots. anything that can be done? to restore the FA Cup and I'm not sure that there is you know I don't think there is Marcus I mean the end of the day football's football now it's all money rated I mean I, I read a tweet earlier football managers are moaning about having replays but yet they'll go into the Champions League and play all the group games they'll play two-legged quarters semis or whatever to try and get money I think it's dominated by money that's what I think it is. And I think the FA, you know, but it's the dilution of it. You know, if you're in League One, you've got the Johnson's Paint Trophy, which is an absolute joke now because they have the third tier, uh, the, the B teams of like Premier League clubs. So you've got the under-21s, which has diluted it. So they call it the EFL Cup now. And I think it's awful. You've then got the you've got the League Cup, which, you know, it's okay, it's the EFL's competition. That's fine. Fair enough. But why have the Premier League teams in it? Just keep it to the Football League clubs, maybe. And then have the FA Cup as a real prestigious one. That's what I personally think they should do. They should 
keep the FA Cup to all the clubs in the country, EFL Cup to all the football league clubs, the EFL Trophy, I think, just needs to be abolished because it's an absolute waste of time and a joke. And then you've got the lower league clubs, you've got the FA Vars, you've got the FA Shield, you know, let them do them on their own tiers. But, I mean, I think, you know, if you got rid of the EFL Cup, which is the Johnson's you paint trophy where it's called now. There is no way you are going to get teams in the EFL to agree to not allowing Premier League teams. Of course, into, because into it's money. Exactly. It's money. It's a and that's a sad team. thing. Yeah. If it wasn't about money and it was about tradition, imagine having a cup just for the championship team, league ones and all that. You could have a final at Wembley, the EFL trophy, which would be amazing. Uh, EFL Cup, whatever it, I, I forgot the Carabao Cup, whatever it's called now, yeah. for sponsorship reasons. But, you know, it's just the cup. I mean, even even all of the Charlton fans, despite the fact it would have been a fourth round draw against West Ham, a Premier League side, which we've had good luck against when we were in the Premier League days and even in the Championship days, we would have had a nice round. Most of us are not really bothered because we're so injury struck at the moment. We want to have a fourth round tie by, you know, we don't want to be in the fourth round. We want to concentrate on survival in the league, which sadly is now our focus and getting the league, going up the league because that's where the money lies. If we, I, I really wouldn't care if we got to Wembley for the FA Cup final, but get relegated like what happened to Wigan a few years ago. Well, this goes back to the the old saying when uh, Cardiff City uh, beat Leeds United that time in um, January 2003, Graham Kavanagh's goal um, against the Leeds team that included your uh, your now manager, Lee Boyer. And what happened there was, following week, Cardiff City lost to Peterborough in the league. If Cardiff City had won that game, they'd have got promoted. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? So it's it, really funny. It's, it's, you look at those worlds, you know. Exactly. So the cup can be an unwelcome distraction. The horrible though it is, because there was a time, certainly in the 1970s and the 1980s, where the FA yeah. Cup was every bit as big as, as the league. Um, mm. and, and teams would, would play flat out because at the end of the day, what was the prize? The prize for winning the league was entry into the old European Cup. Um, the prize for winning the League Cup was a place in the UEFA Cup. The prize for winning the FA Cup was a place in the Cup Winners' Cup. And I think second in the league also got you into the UEFA Cup, but that was about as far as it went as far as European competitions go. No, it's, it's so true. And Europe, Europe's one of those league. Uh, Europe's one of those competitions that I'd love to see Charlton in one day. But this week, Marcus, you got your first experience of a Charlton Athletic game as I came and visited to you for one night only via Cardiff. We went to Swansea City away. What did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic, and I thought I, I picked the perfect day to go and see this because it was the day that Charlton Athletic were under new ownership after a very difficult few years. Few years, and there was a real buzz among the fans. I think they had about nine hundred fans there. At the uh, we had we know six hundred. I think it was just short of six hundred fans we had but well, a really like good really good for like way and as you as you have we shared many tweets in in between uh we have seen a lot of the swansea fans are very impressive chart fans and i think we did make noise despite the fact we would one nil down to an early goal we kept singing it was a good atmosphere we were in good spirits i mean we're effing rich was one of the chants was a welsh going you're effing s word and then we're going you're effing welsh so you know good old banter between the fans there which was a which was a great laugh and i actually think it would have been a very different game if johnny williams was on the pitch Uh, well he actually came back in the fa cup yesterday he was off the bench so it's a shame he wasn't ready a week earlier because he really does turn matches around and you know i i think you know for what else i mean i was driving to you i left my home about half 11 in the morning got to you about two and midway through our stops at services for a quick uh quick refreshment and a quick uh, services break and uh, 
uh, it actually came through on Twitter that this takeover had been completed mm. and our Belgian only wasn't there. So, you know, I was in an ecstatic mood. I texted you. I know you were still asleep at that time, but I know when you were read that message, you were dead happy. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was just a good day all around. I mean, it was a good away day experience. We got a few cans. We got the train from Cardiff Central to Swansea. We met some of the good fans. Marcus has made many friends for the future by the looks of it. Mm. Yeah, I think the Charlton fans deserve a lot of credit for the way they've handled things the last few years. And I think this now, although it'll be a slow burner, and I, I would urge the one word I think Charlton fans have got to take on this is the word patience. Because this is not going to be something that changes overnight. You've got to, What Lee Boyer has worked with the resources that are available to him is nothing sort of miraculous. Now, how many games has it been without a win now in the league? Uh, no, we won on Boxing Day, so it was before that it was eleven without a win. But yeah. we won on Boxing Day, and mm. we lost this match, and we've actually got West Brom against this Saturday. Um, so you know, we'll wait and see. Um, you know, it's a long way to go. We still got the whole of January transfer window to make some good, uh, good signings, and there's some links, and you know, it'd be good to see. I mean, Lionel Messi is apparently in talks with us. So is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, also Gareth Bale. And so we should James be in the Premier League. Up. Yeah, well, we should be in the Premier League before no time then, mate. Champions of England, you know. Well, what I would say in all seriousness is that this is something to bear in mind. If you look at the Championship, there's not that much quality around. No. You've got Leeds and you've got West Brom. That's and it this it, season. It seems to be quite between them two. It's like there's a good, I think it's a 10-point gap at the moment. Yeah, but look beyond that. And you just look at that table and the sort of form people are in. You're never that far away from the run to, a run to the playoffs, and you're also never that far away from a relegation battle. And bearing in mind what happened to Cardiff City and Neil Harris, um, was it New Year's Day losing six one away at QPR? Boo-hoo. Another another three defeats or so. We're right down there in a relegation battle. So there's yeah. something else to bear it's, in mind. Well, it, then then there's six, six um, three wins from us. We could be right up in the playoffs again. It's a, it, from that area. It's quite wide open. Yeah, it's a very strange league, this. But beyond Leeds and West Brom, there really isn't that much quality there. So that's why, if you remember at the end of the last podcast, I said, come on, Worthing, beat the Bogner scum. What did we do on New Year's Day? Well, I was also, I know what happened. Go on, say it, and I'll say something else. 3-0 to the mighty Worthing. An absolutely fantastic away day. There was a good few hundred of us along there at uh, Nywood Lane in Bogner, uh, meeting in the pub by the station, the railway by Bogner Station, march to the ground. It's fantastic. And as you've, as I've spoken on many pubcasts about my love for Worthing and, you know, how the football is raw, it's been absolutely bloody brilliant. And that match on New Year's Day was what I needed. Well, yeah, I mean, all credit to what they've achieved there. But uh, just uh, where are Worthing in the league now? We're joint top. Mm, mm, Because I got sent uh, earlier today, Jeremy Jacobs, who's a big Margate fan who were in the same league. He said, Uh look at the Margate goal that they scored to beat Bogner um, just the other day, just a Saturday just gone. Mm. And that was quite something. And that was a real... At non-league, you have to share. You have to share that with me because any goal against Bogner is a good goal. Yeah, and it, it was quite something as well. You could tell there was a great atmosphere there, and it was a superb goal by Margate. I don't. I'm not even going to pretend to know the name of the scorer. Yeah, but um, it, it just goes to show, as we discussed in a previous podcast, um, down to earth, grassroots football at its finest. Well, yeah, that's it, mate. And I think on that bombshell, we've we've ended what we begin with last 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 pub, uh, last uh, coffee break. And I think it's been another good old uh, rabble for from us for the last forty or so minutes. And I hope you've enjoyed discussing what's been coming this year. We've got the consumer electronics show, which is on in Las Vegas at the moment, which will be a bit of a topic for next time to see what's been released by these tech companies and see where the twenty first century takes us. But from myself and uh, Marcus, anything last words from you? Well, they're not last words. 
words. They're last words for today. But yeah, we'll be back with another 20-minute topic podcast next weekend with all, uh, on a serious note, all that's going on in Iran. And there's lots of very serious things going on there at the moment. If you haven't listened to it um, last weekend, me and Greg tried to put all that went on um, with, with the situation there into some kind of historical context. But we'll be back with another 20-minute topic uh, next Sunday. And James, when will you and I be back? We'll be back in February for another uh, coffee break. Send us your topics. Uh, thanks for those that have commented so far on our social medias. I'm at Mr. Underscore Worldwide Underscore 88. And Marcus, you are? At Marcus Stead. On both on Twitter, please comment what you'd like to be talked about. I hope we've covered what you do. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, light-hearted look into the world and uh, myself and Marcus talking. And hopefully in the next few months, we'll get another podcast sorted. Marcus is due a visit down to my part of the world. And... Um, on all on all parts uh, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you very soon thank you very much and goodbye from me